Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. A Christian woman named Rachel Den Hollander. If you if you don't know who she is, she actually became quite prominent in the last few years for being the first U.S. gymnast to blow the whistle on this man named Larry Nasser, who had been abusing some of the young gymnasts that he was responsible to care for. During the trial of this man, Larry Nasser, she shared her victim impact statement. And, and in it was this gospel presentation that was just beautiful and, and amazing. And, and thousands and thousands, if not millions of people heard this gospel presentation. I've come to have a, a lot of respect for Rachel Den Hollander. She's shown me actually a lot about how law and government should show us or should point us to God's justice. And what Rachel Den Hollander says is that God has instituted civil government for the purpose of reflecting his judgment, the best justice, to the best of our ability here on earth. So she's making the connection between the justice that we seek here on earth in in courts and in government and God's own justice, God's ultimate justice. And these days, Rachel Den Hollander is is a lawyer. She practices law in the U.S., uh, her focus is on victims of abuse, and it just so happens that she is a consultant on the case of Ravi Zacharias. If you don't know who Ravi is, he's a world-famous apologist. He has since passed away, but his ministry was to travel the world and, and explain why the Christian faith makes sense and defend it from all kinds of different a- attacks. When he died about a year ago, thousands, if not millions of people responded with, with sympathy to his family and just with thanks by tweeting, thank you, Ravi. But back in 2017, there was a woman named Lorianne Thompson. And Lorianne came forward with accusations about Ravi, saying that he had, he had hurt her, she, he had abused her. And almost nobody believed her when her story first came out, myself included, I have to be honest. Now, cases like this with Ravi Zacharias, they follow a pattern where the leader finds himself accused of something, he denies it, his, his fan base rises up in order to defend him, and they work together to discredit the accuser, and, and then they use the, the resources of this person's ministry or organization or institution, they use the resources at hand, which are considerable, in order to sort of make the problem go away. And then they will accuse the victim, like they'll accuse the victim of, of, of being unbiblical because of the way that they chose to deal with this thing publicly instead of in private. And when they do that, they typically will use 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to justify it. The thing is, we now know that everything that Lorianne Thompson was saying about Ravi Zacharias, it was all true. Now the, there's been an inve- independent investigation and they have released their report and we now know that it's actually far worse than any of us thought. And I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm in tension over this. I'm, I'm struggling with this. Because when it was just Lorianne Thompson's word against Ravi Zacharias, I believed him. I didn't believe her. But now public opinion has shifted, public opinion has changed, and it's like now that lawyers have gotten involved, now we believe her. 
Well, Rachel Den Hollander was one of the few people who pushed back because when when the report first went public, a whole bunch of Christians criticized Ravi and they celebrated Lorianne Thompson. And, and so all of these Christians, they were actually sort of corrected and rebuked by Rachel Den Hollander. She said that when your voice was desperately needed in 2017 and all the years that followed, you were silent. You had nothing to say until the work was done and it cost you nothing. You took less than 24 hours to raise your voice, but you are years too late, she says. As we continue this morning in our Table Manners series, figuring out what does it look like for us to be the church as individuals and as a church, we're going to see what this passage means and also what it doesn't mean. I'm going to try and and just let this passage speak and kind of show us which sorts of disputes we should be able to resolve privately, but also which ones we shouldn't dare try to resolve privately. I also want to pause here and just offer what might you might call a bit of a trigger warning. I've chosen my words carefully this morning, and, and as we go, you might feel like a maybe a, a stress response. You might feel yourself kind of feeling maybe a little bit scared, depending on what you have experienced. I want you to hear this. You are safe, and you are loved, and you are important. And if you feel like that, I want you to know you are among friends here, and the Lord is on your side. And if you have those feelings, I'm going to encourage you to just take lots of deep breaths. Take lots of slow, deep breaths, uh, because this is an important message. In fact, there are lots of folks that I hope will hear this message. I hope that this will be heard by people who love Jesus and who identify with his church. I also hope that this is going to be heard by the people who think that we are all hypocrites. I hope that they will hear it. I also hope that this will be heard by those who wish that they could belong to the church or who wish that they could believe in this Jesus stuff. They wish that they could, but they have suffered too much and it makes it too hard to believe. Those are who I hope hear this. So so let's get started. And, and what I want to begin by doing is showing four reasons why, as far as Paul's concerned, most of these disputes can actually be settled privately. Okay, Four reasons why Paul thinks we should be able to settle these things privately. The first reason, just diving in here, is because these are trivial things among equals. Okay, What the Corinthians are dealing with is trivial things among equals. He says, if any of you has a dispute with one another... Do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of the Lord's people? Do you not know the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to, to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of his life? So let's be really clear. The kinds of conflicts that Paul has in mind here are trivial things. Okay, This is day-to-day, normal life kinds of stuff. For example, this is like, you know, suppose Matt and Will are, are fishermen in Corinth, okay? And, and one day during a storm, Matt's boat smashes into Will's boat and causes damage. And, and let's say Matt refuses to pay for the damage to Will's boat. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here, okay? Or suppose Hannah wakes up one morning and she goes out to the, her barn to see that some of her chickens are missing. And she has reason to believe that Emily's dog got out and got into her barn and took those chickens. So this is like, this is small claims kind of stuff. This is, this is Judge Judy kind of stuff, okay? It's the stuff that happens. It's day-to-day stuff. Maybe because somebody was careless. 
It's maybe there was it was an accident, but it's certainly not criminal, okay? And they certainly didn't mean to hurt anybody. That's the kind of cases we're talking about. And Paul says, we should be able to sort this out because, don't you know, like this was a Sunday school lesson a long time ago. You've, you've, you heard this, you should know this. God is going to let us help him judge the world. Like God's entrusted to us the responsibility to help him judge the world and to judge the angels. You remember Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so here, Paul's saying, God has entrusted us with some pretty big decisions. And so if we can handle that, surely we can be trusted to deal with these things privately. These are trivial issues, trivial problems between equals. Also, another reason we should be able to handle these things internally is because harming our witness, Paul says, is worse than being ripped off. It is worse to harm our witness than to be ripped off. He says, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned by the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Instead, a brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. Now, it seems like the worst part for Paul of of all is in verse 6, that this is happening in front of unbelievers. Like, if you think that the court of public opinion doesn't matter, that's not true. Paul's saying the court of public opinion actually matters quite a bit. And our neighbors should be able to look at the church and they should be able to see what justice looks like. They shouldn't see us airing our dirty laundry. But when, when Christians go to court against one another, that preaches. It preaches. The neighbors who are, are watching and listening, they, they say, well, I, I, thought that, I thought that Christians are all about forgiveness. I, I guess maybe Christians are no different from the rest of us. Maybe they're, they're just as greedy as, as the rest of the world. They're just as petty as the rest of the world. And, and, and that's not the message that we have for the world. That's not our message. That's why this, these disputes don't belong in, in court, Paul's saying. So that's the second reason. The third reason is because we should be choosing to put others first. The right choice is to put others first. He says, verse 7, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. So, so it's like, you, you think winning the case is, is the win here. It's not. Like, even if you win your lawsuit, he says, verse 7, you are still completely defeated. Like, even if you win your case, you are still completely defeated. Why? Because, because we're divided. Because, because you care more about what you want than what everybody else needs, what your opponent, opponent needs, and what the church needs before a watching world. Paul's saying, don't be selfish. Like, yes, of course it, it sucks to have your boat damaged. Of course, that, that, of course nobody likes that. Of course it sucks to, to lose your, some chickens. Yes, that's, that's not okay. That's not good. But this person is family. And you should be able to sort this out. And in a dispute, in a battle between brothers and sisters, nobody wins. You both lose. Now, just to be clear, Paul is not excusing what, it, what happened, 
Okay, like he he acknowledges in verse seven that somebody ha- that you know someone's been wronged and someone has been cheated. So Paul's Paul knows this isn't fair. It's not right. But verse eight, he says, but now you're doing it. Now you're doing it to each other. Like you had a choice to make. You could have settled. You could have resolved this thing outside of court. You could have settled it privately. Instead, your choice is to, to look at your brother or sister and say, you wronged me and now I'm going to make you suffer. And that is not the way of Jesus. That's revenge. That's revenge. And it's better to be wronged than to seek revenge. Okay? That's, that's why these lawsuits are wrong. Now, the fourth reason that Paul offers is because Christians trust God to judge. Like, we trust that God knows what he's doing. Verse 9, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were, Paul says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, to be clear, Christians believe in justice. Okay, We believe that that wrongdoers won't inherit the kingdom. We, we believe there are no exceptions. Nobody slips through the cracks. It's not like God isn't paying attention and somebody's going to sneak in uh, the back door. Everybody gets what is coming. There, okay, so there is justice. There is ultimate justice. And Paul's argument here is, because that's true, we actually don't need to micromanage God. We don't need to help him uh, do that judging. We don't, we don't need to help him uh, settle these matters for us by taking it into our own hands. He's saying when we take each other to court over these trivial things, in some ways it's actually like we're saying, well, God did the right thing when he forgave me. But in your case, there, there surely must be some mistake. Like God did the right thing by forgiving me, but, but not you. And so I'm going to make you pay in, in court. And Paul's like, seriously, have you, like, have you guys forgotten? Have you forgotten what some of you were? Like you were idolaters. You were taking the worship that God deserves and you were giving it to created things. Okay, that's who you used to be. You used to be swindlers, cheating one another and, and, and pulling all kinds of strings in order to get your way. You were greedy. You were drunks and big mouths and you were sexually selfish and sexually disordered. You were hopeless. You had... Uh, no share in God's kingdom, okay? There was a time when you were under judgment and that's all that you could expect from him, but not now. Because, Because Jesus came and he suffered as the ultimate wrongdoer and as the ultimate cheat. He suffered in your place. He took your place and he was excluded from the kingdom so that you could be brought in. And, and you were washed. You were washed. And so you're not that person anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. God is making you holy. And you are, you are holier today than you were yesterday or the day before because you're sanctified. God's not done with you. And you were justified. God justified you. He declared you innocent. No matter what the decision is by Judge Judy, God has said, innocent. 
I declare you innocent. So let the courts make their decisions here. Even if you lose here, I say you're innocent. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit together collaborating to say, you win. You're innocent. Now that's great news. That really is great news. But I want to shift gears for a minute because there's an important question we need to ask. We need to deal with the question, should every dispute stay private? Are there cases that should go public? And I would remind us that when we started this study of 1 Corinthians, when we started a few weeks ago, we said, this is kind of like we're reading somebody else's email, right? Like, there, there is some context that would be, it'd be helpful to know. There's some nuance that it would be helpful for us to understand, but we don't have it. And so all of us are doing our best to understand what Paul's talking about in this chapter. And one of the ways that some people fill in the gaps of what we don't fully know about this chapter is by taking what Paul says and ignoring context and ignoring nuance and sort of universalizing it. They would universalize it and say, Because of what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Christians should never call the police on other Christians. Christians should never involve the courts. Christians should never involve social services. And we can handle any problem between believers because, like, we're the church. Go church, right? It sounds really biblical, but it's actually not. We're going to see that. At the same time, there would be some who take this passage and they, they go, Well, Paul could never have imagined the sorts of conflicts and the kinds of disputes and problems that we're up against today in 2021. Therefore, we actually can't apply this this stuff at all. And I just want to say, it seems to me, both of those conclusions are arrogant because one of those gives us too much credit. The other one gives Paul too little credit. And what I want to remind us is that this is God's word. And let's assume that it's here for a reason. Let's assume that this is helpful for us. And I think if we look at these, if we look at Paul's arguments again, Paul's actually giving us a template for sort of deciding whether a dispute should stay private or it should go public. It's almost like a test. So let's just take a minute and go back and see how does a modern abuse case compare to what we're seeing going on here in Corinth. Because the first question The first question is, what if it's not a trivial dispute between equals? What if it's not just a little thing between equal people? Remember that Paul said that they should be able to handle this because these are trivial things. Okay? But an abuse case is not. An abuse case is not a trivial, normal, day-to-day sort of thing. It's dehumanizing. It's evil. and And it's criminal. It's not a trivial little thing. It's also not between equals. Like, I hope you realize that. When we're talking about an abuse case, we are not talking about people who have sort of equal social capital, okay? Like in the case of Ravi Zacharias and Lorianne Thompson, there is a massive, massive power imbalance. And, and that's not the, the same sort of situation that Paul's talking about in this chapter. And so for that reason, I mean, I don't see how Paul would expect them to resolve a, a dispute like that privately. I don't, I think he would say that that's not fair. Now, the second part of the test was, what if it's not a choice between some harm and none? Just going back to the, the Corinthian problems, 
You remember that in Corinth, Paul wants to minimize the damage to their witness. It's in, in Corinth, it's a choice between doing some harm to their witness and doing none. So in a, where, it's, where it's a choice between some harm and none, of course you should handle this privately. You should deal with it privately and you shouldn't take it to court. But that's not how abuse cases are. Right? In an abuse case, it's like it's too late. By the time an abuse case happens and a person comes forward with allegations against a leader like we are seeing in a lot of these cases, by that time, it's no longer a choice between some harm and none. Now it's a choice between a lot of harm to our witness and a ton of harm to our witness. And that's very, very different. It's, it's a choice between the survivor's suffering or the survivor's suffering plus just catastrophic harm to the gospel and to our witness once the story leaks. And it will. And so again, it is not; those are not the same situation. So given those choices, Paul would know that going public is actually the better option. It's better for the victim and it's better for our witness. And he would say that sort of a situation has to be dealt with publicly. The third part of the test was, what if the survivor isn't able to choose? Like, what if the choice has been taken out of their, out of their hands? They should be able to choose, but what if they can't? So, so Paul wanted the Corinthians to be able to make the choice to absorb the offense for, him, for themselves, right? That was the choice that he wanted them to make. And he assumes that it's their choice to make and that it can't, it can't be forced, Okay, like it's a choice that they will make as an expression of of worship and and courage and faith in Jesus. But it has to be a choice. But in an abuse situation, the survivor has, has lost the power to choose. And that choice has been made for her. She's been disempowered. And that means, in a sense, the abuse never really stopped. It just changed forms. And what Paul would say is... That is not the same situation. That is not what I was talking about. That's not what chapter 6 is, is dealing with. In fact, it would be cruel to expect this, the, the, the survivor and the abuser to try and resolve this one-on-one and, and expect her to make that choice. You can't possibly expect her to make that choice while the abuse is still going on. That is not fair. And now the, the final part of, of the test. What if it's actually not between believers? What if it turns out this isn't actually a dispute between believers after all? So follow me here for a minute. Paul says that the Corinthians should, be, should, should leave judgment to God because God is going to do the right thing and he's going to judge well. And if you know that you have been forgiven, you are so humbled by that and you are so grateful for that that, uh, that, that it changes you. Okay, you're changed. And, and, and so as a Christian, it may be that as a Christian, you still struggle with temptation. You, okay, you will. You will struggle with temptation. And you might be a Christian who occasionally struggles with stealing or swindling or, or drunkenness. You may struggle even with sexual sin. But what a Christian doesn't do is a Christian doesn't cultivate a double life or a triple life in some of the ways that we're seeing in a lot of these abuse cases. 
That's not Christian. That's a very, very different situation. And that means, I mean, when where that is going on, that means there's actually no compelling reason to believe that this person is a follower of Jesus because of the lengths that they're going to cover up the abuse. Like there's good reason to wonder if this person's even born again. And I think Paul's saying that in a situation like that, you don't expect them to resolve it privately. Now, I am not saying that as followers of Jesus, we should rush out and cancel everybody who has ever been accused. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. I think Scott McKnight has said a lot of helpful things about this. He wrote a book called, uh, A Church Called Tove. And when I read that in the fall, I was so impressed with this book. I went out and I bought a whole bunch of copies and I, I gave it out. In fact, I think some of you have it. Scott McKnight says that in a toxic church culture, loyalty to the leader or the brand often takes precedence. At times, the difference between justice and loyalty is subtle, but when they are at odds with one another, Christians are asked to choose between loyalty and justice. Scott McKnight says, I find no fault in their decision to go public. The time for a prophet is when the priests aren't marked by goodness. Let me say that again. The time for a prophet is when the priests aren't marked by goodness. Now, what I hope is clear is that to use this passage to silence the victims of abuse is not okay. It's not okay. That is not what Paul is dealing with, and it is not okay. And as it turns out, there are times where the best way, the most like the most Christ-like way, is actually not to keep it private, but to bring public attention to it. So I, I hope that that's clear. And, and I, I come to that conclusion not in spite of chapter 6, but because of it. So, so let's talk about some table manners for, for us as we wrap this thing up. I am convinced that Paul would say that if there are survivors at our table, those survivors need to be cared for. They need to be listened to and loved and supported. They should actually be served first when they're at our, at our table. What, what they need, what survivors need, the church should provide, okay? If there are abusers at our table, that needs to be called out and they need to be deplatformed and they need to be disciplined like we talked about last week. And for the rest of us who are, who are bystanders, who are also at the table, we need to believe and we need to support those wounded sheep and we also need to stop rewarding those bad shepherds, okay? Now, let me say a word to young people who are listening, okay? Particularly kids who are listening and figuring this out. You might hear this and you might think, well, that's kind of scary. Like, am I, am I actually safe? So I want to say a word to you, young people, okay? Christianity teaches that every one of us is both a sinner and a saint all at the same time. And any one of us might be selfish at times and, and do things that we shouldn't. But that is not what we're talking about right now. I'm saying there are actually people in the world who are unsafe. There are unsafe people in the world. But mom and dad's job is to look after you because they love you. And actually, part of my job too, and part of the job of the other leaders of Benediction Church is to keep you safe when you are with us. That's our job, and, and we take that job really seriously, okay? Just so you know, in the last couple of years, twice that I remember off the top of my head, I have sat down with 
two different individuals in order to say, I'm sorry, but our people are not safe around you and you can't stay. I've had to say that and I would do that again because we love you and because just like Jesus, we are trying to be good shepherds, okay? I would say to everybody hearing this, to anyone hearing this, followers of Jesus do not need to choose between the needs of the many and the needs of the few. That's not how this works. We don't choose between justice and loyalty. We look to our Lord who is the good shepherd, okay? He doesn't sacrifice the one for the sake of the 99. That's not how this works. That's not how Jesus rolls. He, Jesus is the one who leaves the 99 healthy, safe sheep, and he goes out after the one. He doesn't, he doesn't ask the flock to stay silent about what they've seen. The good shepherd also, he doesn't say to a sheep who has been abused, he doesn't ask that sheep to sit at the table with the wolf and expect them to sort out their differences. That's not how the good shepherd works. He doesn't ask that sheep to, to, to take one for the team. He, he picks her up, he puts her on his shoulders, and he carries her home. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.